Blog Talk Radio. Mr. Pop. The views and opinions of this show do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of this network and its affiliates. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Combat Sports Show. Tonight we have a big show for you. We are going to be interviewing in about a half an hour J-Rock Daddy, pro wrestler. Very, very cool. He's going to be a fun interview. We'll get some good insights on what the indie scene's like, all sorts of cool shit on, on pro wrestling that, that is, that's coming straight from him. Okay? This isn't stuff that Jason and I are going to talk about or stuff that you hear in the, in the tabloids. This is going to be straight from the pro wrestler himself's mouth. It'll be terrific. We're going to break down UFC 222. And then we are going to talk a little bit about Bellator over the weekend. And there was an LFA event. There was a cage rage. There was a whole bunch of MMA and some kickboxing and a pretty big boxing match. Plus some big news of the week. And Jason has probably the biggest news to break today. Jason, go ahead and tell everybody about that. Well, so it was broke this afternoon on ESPN that Canelo – had a bloody piss test uh, or a blood test, whatever, the, however they do it. And he came up positive for clenbuterol. Now, we all know that anyone that's asthmatic got bronchial issues. They use that as breathing, you know, it's in the breathing treatment. But in the fighting world, we all know that this really helps people cut works really well in weight cutting. Now, he came up with a trace. And what they say, and this happens a lot with um, Mexican athletes that train in Mexico, is that they treat animals down there with clenbuterol. I guess it helps make the meat more lean. So... I mean, I don't know how to think about this. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of, I'm torn on the fence. I want to believe the guy that this is the reason that he, that he popped dirty. But, I mean, what's your opinion on this? My, my opinion, I don't know. I don't think Alvarez has ever failed a drug test. I, I do see this as an easy excuse. Oh, the meat in Mexico did it. Just like, uh, like you and I had talked about. Frank Muir did this when he failed his test. Oh, you know, the kangaroos are full of steroids in Australia. That must have been it. There's always an excuse with these guys. Very few people, fighters, anybody caught with anything illegal ever admit to it. Um, <clears throat> a couple of notable exceptions. Brian Ortega, he did come out and admit to it. He took a diuretic to help him cut weight. He admitted it. They suspended him. Um, Chris Lieben got caught using a couple of different kinds of steroids and admitted it, said, yeah, I thought it'd be out of my system by then. I did it. Okay. Some guys do admit it. A lot of guys don't. So depending on if he's ever been caught before, if not, usually I would tend to give a guy a That's what I was thinking here. But it just seems kind of ironic that this happens within a few months of the big rematch with Triple G. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, 
I would give him a pass, but I, I also am very, very doubtful that this was accidental. I, I would guess. I think it's just probably a loading phase. He was loading up because he's only got, what, two months? What, March, April? Yeah, yeah two yeah, months. Yeah, May 5th. And he's fighting. So this was prime loading phase, man. He, he's loading up and ready to go. I just, I, 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 I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm torn. I don't, I want to believe Canelo Alvarez. I really do. Because, like you said, he's never been popped before. Yeah, what's funny is, but this was a, no, it's funny because this was a voluntary testing program that he wanted, that Alvarez yes. wanted. Um, so I, I'm a, a little more, even though I, I'm a little doubtful, I also have this thing in the back of my mind, and he's the one that was asking for it. it it's, it's also, it could be just, just bad timing. He ate the wrong meat down there, you know, and it happens. He could be telling 100% the truth. I mean, I, when I, you know, I was doing my research on this before the show. Now, the United States banned it. The European nation banned it. China mm-hmm. banned it from using that type of stuff in, um, in animals. You know, we had here now, you know, a couple the, of, the FDA, yeah. the Food Drug Administration, not it had this happen, you know. A couple of UFC fighters got got uh, suspended and got those suspensions revoked after tracing or testing positive for trace amounts of clenbuterol also. You and I were talking about this prior to the show. Back in 2011, mm-hmm. you had the whole FIFA um, soccer team from Mexico. Everyone got popped for being dirty. Yeah. Now, that's kind of ironic. That the whole soccer team is going to get popped. Yeah, but the, but that's now something this, in the water. You know, well, they say it's you know they it's been a proven fact. I mean, we're going back. What are we at? 2018. So we're going back seven years where this happened. And uh, the drug administration they just threw this out. They just said nope. I mean. It's a proven fact, but what I would like to see is I would like to see the blood tests from those soccer players to where Canelo Alvarez is blood test is at, and I want to see if it's comparable because they say it's just a yeah. trace amount. It's not like he was overloaded with it. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, I find that strange, but there's too much money to be made here. There's no way this fight's getting called off. No, no, no. They, they've already said the fight's going to go on. It's going to go on as planned. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Bad thing is, okay, let's say Canelo Alvarez comes back and beats Triple G. Do you put an asterisk on this fight because he, he tested dirty? Eight weeks out? Um, if I'm Triple G... I'm having real doubts about this fight taking place. I mean, I would be too. I mean, you just have, I mean, your opponent just tested dirty. Yes. And regardless of why. Now, USADA has already issued warnings to any fighter traveling to Mexico. Don't eat the meat. 
because it's possible this can happen. It also, yep. as much as I want to believe him, it also sounds like a tailor-made excuse for having this in your system. So, but what he has done is he has now transferred his fight camp to the United States. Okay. So this tells me that he's wanting to prove everyone wrong that, yes, it was the meat, so he's willing to transfer his fight camp to the U.S., and he is going to be in, and he's going to voluntary any type of blood, urine, anything they ask for. They will, he will give it up at, at the drop of a hat. That tells me that he might be telling the truth. I don't know. I'm a little optimistic. Yeah. You know, I just don't know. <clears throat> next week when we come back, we'll be on again next week like we are every week. We're going to break down what clenbuterol is, what exactly it does for you, and what, you know, how it actually gets in the meat in Mexico. We're going to be on assignment. I'm going to send Jason down to Mexico. He's going to do a full report. He's going to eat everything he can eat down there, and he's going to tell us. He's going to come back looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and we'll find out if it really works or not. Well, that's next if I come back looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger at my 150-pound frame, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so that was big news. But there's been a couple of big fights signed this week, and Invicta lost a huge main event. So let's break that down a little bit before we talk to J-Rock. Um, one of the biggest signings of the week, now this is a rematch, Mirko Krokop. Roy Nelson at Bellator 200, sorry, in London next month. Well, May 25th. So in a couple of three months. That's going to be cool. That's a good rematch. Um, the first one, Nelson won by knockout in the third round. That's on the card along with uh, Rafael Carvello versus Gegard Musasi, MVP versus David Rickles, and Phil Davis versus Linton Vassell. So that's a big that's card for fight. Bellator right there. That's yeah. a good fight. Yeah. Now, the first one was a little bit lackluster, not a, not a ton of action. Uh, Mirko never really lived up to his potential in the UFC. Uh, went back to Japan, and he seems to be a little bit different fighter back there. You know, uh, maybe it's the rules. Maybe it's the traveling. I don't know. But he just fights a little different over in Japan than he does here. Hard to say. Yeah. Tough call on that one, but it's a good match, and that's a terrific card. Now, on top of that, for Bellator 199, they Bellator has taken over, not taken over, but signed John Fitch. John Fitch has given up his pro fight league, former World Series of Fighting title at 170, and signed with Bellator. And his first fight, Jason, is a doozy. He's taking on Paul Daly at Bellator 199 in the co-main event. Whoa. Yeah. What do you think about Even that? Even though I'll t- I would take Paul Daly in this fight, to be honest with you. Really? I would. You'd take Paul Daly? Um, yeah. You know me. I okay. like the underdog. 
Daly's cool, though. I do like him. That's uh, that's pretty sweet, though. Not bad. So, um, what's, uh, what's going on in Invicta? That's the bad one. This Invicta, now, the, the next event coming up for Invicta is a pretty... It's a pretty cool event. Um, let me see. It's Invicta. I believe it's Invicta 26. Um, let me see. 28. They're at 28 already. Now, what it was supposed to be was Denisa Morandin versus Verna Jandaroba. Verna is 12-0. and Denisa is 10-1. Very, very good fight for the vacant strawweight title. Um, Janisa's actually pretty big for Strawway. She's she's a big woman. Now, Janisa, she pulled out of the fight. She's injured. Um, it sucks. Both these ladies are fucking awesome, Jason. I'm telling you, they're, they're terrific fighters. Uh, Janisa is just, uh, she's an animal, man. She's going at you. And, and Verna is a little bit more technical. Very, very good submissions. Very good submissions. Both are, are Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters. They they both got a little little boxing and whatnot. Very good fight. Very interesting. But what they're doing is pulling up Mizuki Inouye. She's going to take on Verna Genderoba for that title. And that's a pretty cool fight. Uh, Mizuki, she's, uh, her last loss was in 2015 to Alexa Grasso, who you know. Uh, very good fighter. She's in the UFC now. But she's beaten... Lacey Shuckman and Lynn Alvarez recently, she's, she's on a two-fight win streak. Um, she lost a split decision to Carolina Kovalkovich, who you know from the UFC also, and she beat yep. Beth Hyatt also. So she's beaten some good fighters. Mizuki's very, very good. Um, this is a tough fight for Mizuki. Uh, she's got less experience, but more big fight experience than Verna. So tough fight to call but a very, very good fight. I really like I, – I was really excited for Janisa Morandin versus Verna Jindaroba, but throwing Mizuki in there is, a, is, is not bad at all. I mean, that's, it, that's a terrific replacement. Now, I didn't get to watch this fight. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to have Showtime for free over the weekend, and, of course, DirecTV reneged it. But yeah. It was um, – Wilder versus Ortiz. Time, Wilder was 39-0 with 38 knockouts. I want to say Ortiz was like 24-0, 23-0 with 20 knockouts. So I already had it in my mind. Someone was going to be put to sleep in this fight. Yeah. And I watched some of the highlights off of it. And Dante Wilder did finish Ortiz in the 10th. He reminds me of a George Foreman. Big, oh, big, big um, capability. Yeah? I mean, big he punches been, he's, Yeah, he's got big, he's, he just has big power. Um but to me, he doesn't really look like he has a lot of um, – he doesn't have a lot of skill. 
He's not really. To me, he's more of a bruiser. Okay. With that, to me, he's to me Dante Wilder is more of a bruiser. He's he's not technically sound. Maybe like say a Floyd Mayweather or a Manny Pacquiao or you know or that type of a boxer. He is just a big bruiser and relies on brute strength. Now Uh that's what happened. He ended up knocking him out. I mean, Ortiz hit the mat quite a few times in that fight. But I don't know. I'd like to see him go up if Anthony Joshua would ever accept this fight to unify the title. I would love to see this fight go on. Okay. But Anthony Joshua, me, has been sidestepping. He, Anthony Joshua does not want this fight for whatever reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's never been. It's never been. It's never been told why he won't take it. We just know he won't take it. That's weird. Maybe Anthony Joshua thinks he'll get beat. I think Anthony Joshua would beat him. Anthony Joshua is more. He's a big power guy as well, but he's also more technically sound. He's not. He doesn't have the punch like Dante Wilder. But Anthony Joshua, to me, has better footwork and better stamina. To me, he's just a better all-around boxer than Dante Wilder. But it would be a very exciting fight to watch. That sounds like it, yeah. So. I, uh, yeah, I sound, that sounds like something I would be really into. I'm just glad boxing now is trying to make a comeback because it was lost for years. I thought boxing was just going to go it was going it was downhill, lost. but uh, yeah, it's there, you know, there, there's always been boxing's always been a fun sport to watch, you know, especially at the highest level. Uh, you and I grew up watching some of the best. I mean, really, we grew up in one of the golden ages of boxing, late seventies and and early through late eighties. You know, there were so many good fighters. Remember, remember Michael Nunn? Remember how good he was? Yeah. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard, Duran, Hagler, Hearn, those guys were terrific. But we also had a hell of a heavyweight division back then. I mean, obviously, you yeah. and I missed out on Ollie Frazier, Norton, Foreman, the heyday of Foreman anyway. But we had guys like Michael Moore, Spinks, obviously Mike, Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas, Holyfield. Oh, man, Riddick Bowe, Ray Mercer. Ray Mercer was a fucking beast. You know, there was a lot Lennox of great fighters back then. Yeah, Lennox Lewis, yeah. they were. Remember on the on the UFC in 222, which we're going to talk to after we interview uh, J Rock. Uh, Joe Joe Rogan was talking about Lennox Lewis when when Stephen Struve was fighting. Remember that? Yep. Yeah, that yeah, did, was a. Did you I thought it was hilarious. Shut up! I'm talking. Didn't know how to use his jab, but the next fighter over, Frankie Edgar, was using <laughs> was fighting behind a jab. Oh man, I was dying. Did you ever watch that fight with Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson? Yes, you know, I did, but I don't remember it that well. I forgot that Tyson threatened to eat his children beforehand and bit him or something. Bit him in the leg when yeah. he had a little scuffle. I don't know if he bit him. I knew he bit, I mean, he bit Holyfield twice. He took his ear off twice, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, the way Tyson came out, I thought, like, I'm like, uh-oh, Lennox Lewis is in trouble. Then whatever happened with Tyson, Tyson went by the wayside and Lennox Lewis destroyed him. 
Yeah. And and for Tyson, in that fight, I was a little worried for Lennox Lewis. Now, I'm a big Lennox Lewis fan. Always have been. Well, so am I. Well, the problem with Lennox Lewis is doesn't have the greatest chin in the world. He really doesn't. He, I, I would even no. say he had an average chin. But he was so big and so long and very, very smart. His boxing IQ was very high, or, or at least his trainers, they had a very high IQ. Cause they taught him, and he stuck to a really solid game plan every time. You know the fight I always wanted? And, they, you know, they tried to make it, but it just never transpired. Is I wanted to see Holyfield and Foreman go at it. And they had the chance. The fight was in the making a couple times. Yeah. That would be the fight of the ages to watch. Just two heavy punchers going at it. I mean, someone might have got killed in the ring in this fight. Just no. Because of how, I'm just saying it, but you know what I mean. Just the heavy punch that, that, I don't know, that would have been the fight to watch. If they could ever materialize that fight, that fight would, oh, might have been, that probably would have broke pay-per-view records back then. You know, you know, um, just to, not to make you sound bad, but that fight actually happened. No, it didn't. Foreman never yes, fought Tyson. No, he did not. You just said Holyfield. You said Holyfield. No, I said Tyson. Tyson, no, you Foreman. Said Holy- they, they, oh. You said Holyfield. Damn it. Oh, no, no. I know. No, I know Holyfield and Foreman went at it, and that was one hell of a fight. Can't backtrack. You already said it. You said Holyfield the first time. I meant Tyson Foreman because that fight was actually in the making, but oh, whatever for whatever I, reason, I forgot. it never happened. Jason, I'm telling you, I forgot my mind-reading hat today. I couldn't tell. I didn't know what you actually meant. All I know is what well, you said. I know. My bad. I screwed up. My bad. I screwed up. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no. Um. Okay, no, that but is if, it. If Tyson Dude. Foreman would have ever happened, that would have been mm-hmm. the fight of our generation. Okay, yeah, because I was thinking when you said tight or or Holyfield versus Foreman, I'm thinking, wait a minute, what's he talking about? You know that fight's happened, but now that you no, that fight up, did happen. Tyson versus Foreman, wow, that would have been that would have been nuts. Like I said, someone might have died in the ring that night because they're just so. They're just two heavy, heavy punchers. It's hard to see Foreman going down. Did he ever go down when he made his comeback? Uh, yeah. Um, you know what? I will have the answer for that on our next show because I actually want to look into that. I Yes, I think he has been put to the canvas. But if he – I mean, if he has, it's been very, very few times. that. That's why we can't remember it. Yeah, I mean, I remember him getting beat up really bad by Holyfield and by Mike Moore until he knocked him out. But I never remember him going down. I don't ever remember Foreman going down. I I don't know. Um, Actually, like I said, I'm going to do a little research on that for next week's show to see if he actually ever got put to the canvas. Okay. Yeah, that's probably good. I mean... Gosh, Foreman was so fun to watch fight, man. He just put his hands up and go. I mean, but what what's cool about that is 
he fought in the era that you and I really couldn't watch because we were too young, you know, in the 70s. But yeah. he fought all the way through the 80s. I mean, he fought Muhammad Ali. He did. I mean, he fought a lot of big-name fighters. Yeah, he fought different them all. Generations, but through different generations of boxing, which I don't know. I love Mike Tyson, but George Foreman has got to be one of my favorite, most favorite heavyweights of all time. Oh, yeah. You know, what's funny is he, he's only lost five fights. George Foreman. But he That's did impressive. beat Muhammad Ali. Did he? I want to, you know, I want to say he beat Muhammad Ali, and then, of course, Muhammad Ali turned right around and beat him again. But I thought he did. I thought he didn't beat Ali. I think he beat Ali. Let me retract my statement, but I think he beat Ali once. But he's beaten all the, you know, I mean, he's been in a lot of, Epic, epic fight. Let's see. Oh, yeah, he was knocked out by Muhammad Ali, but that was the only time he was knocked out. See. But I think he beat Ali, if you're looking it no. up. Didn't he beat Ali once? No. No, He okay, he, he never did. Him. Okay, I thought, I thought he did. I thought he beat Ali once, and then, he came, and then Ali came back, and, not, and I knew he beat him bad. Yeah. Nope, they only fought that one time. Man, I mean, there's just that been so been many. So cool I, to be around for that. Oh, I wish we'd have seen that. I mean, I wish, I wish we'd have seen a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the uh, Hagler and Hearns. I never did. I never watched those fights live. I just, you know, you just hear about them, oh. you know, and watch them on YouTube or whatever, you know, whatever we have to watch them on. There's, yeah. there's a lot of iconic fights. I wish I would have been able to see. Now, George Foreman, when he when he lost to Muhammad Ali, he got knocked out. That was 1974, October of 74. He didn't fight we him until born. January. What? I said, what? fuck, we weren't even born yet. I know, but that was October. He didn't fight again until January of 76. So he took he took quite a bit of time off. But then, in 77, his next loss by decision... He didn't fight again for 10 years after that. And so he, he still took comes a lot of back time and off after the losses. Yeah, he still came back looking good. We can't say that but about Mike Tyson. No, or a, a particular female in the MMA world that took a loss really, really bad, took a year off, came back, and took another loss and quit forever. Well, we could say that about a couple uh, women MMA fighters. Yeah. Um, speaking of. lost and never regained what they had. Yeah. And the We're two I'm talking about right on top of my head of Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. Well, Misha Tate, she took a lot of loss. She wasn't, she wasn't a one-hit wonder. You know, she, she, she'd been around for a while. Um, oh, yeah. I do want to talk to you tonight. What did you think about Mackenzie Dern, her debut on on the UFC card this weekend? Now I've seen her oh. fight in LFA and in Invicta, but this was her this was her coming up to the big show. She had a lot of hype that behind fight, her. What did you think? That fight was very entertaining. Yeah. Um, now she's a tough lady, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And 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 Yoder wasn't she wasn't holding nothing back either. No, Yoder's no joke, isn't she? No, Yoder is no joke. Um I had Dern winning the first round. Yoder dominated the second. Now I'm like you know, going into the third round of that fight, I'm thinking, oh, Lord. She needs to do something big to win this thing. And, of course, there she goes. Dern, you know, Dern gets her to the ground and then dominates yeah. the back end of that third round. That's what won, in yes, my eyes, that's what won her that fight. Yeah, because that was a close fight. And even at that, um, that was still a close fight. It was a fun fight, though. Um, I honestly, if they'd have given it to Yoder... I would have been okay with that too. Um, I, oh, I, I would have been. I would have been, been. I would have been perfectly okay if they would have given that fight to Yoder. Because you texted me right after that fight, she, he, and you said, "What do you think of that decision?" And I'm like, "I I couldn't question it, but yeah. I couldn't have questioned it if it went the other way either. That fight was just that evenly matched." Yeah, but Yoder. Me, what yeah. I think that one, me, what I think won well, that fight for Dern was her ground game on the back end of that third round. Yeah. The the the, the ground game, um, Dern was tough. She went right after her, even when she was getting popped. She shows, you know, she's shown the willingness. She wasn't scared. Like, not that I'm I, I'm not using Rousey for an excuse because Rousey, even though she got knocked out those last two fights didn't shy away from getting punched in the face. It wasn't like she got punched and freaked out. She she had a good chance. She just got caught by two very good fighters. <clears throat> she showed that she would walk right through those punches, and she did. She got caught that one time and knocked down, but that was in the back of the, the – behind her ear. <clears throat> that knocks most people down. But all in all, it was a very entertaining fight. It was a great fight to watch. And you and I are both that, in agreement with this. Um, yeah. It could have went either way, and you and I w- would have been happy with the decision. Yeah. But that being said, Dern's going to get better from that. She's going to come in. Her cardio is going to be better next time. I really think her takedowns are going to be a lot a lot more on point. Yoder looks very, very good. She got taken down by Dern, and Dern had her back and had her in a very solid choke. And Yoder was very calm, popped right out of it. That was impressive. Having a lady with, with that good of jujitsu credentials get your back and your neck and you still pop right out of it, that's fucking impressive. Now, I want to, uh, since we're on this subject, and hopefully our interview doesn't call in while we're on this subject, but... <laughs> um, what did you think about that cat, uh, fight with Cat Zingano and Vieira? Ooh, you know what? I liked that fight. Um, Zingano just got she got out grappled. You know. Now and we are going to have a. Um, J-Rock's going to be calling in any minute, so let's not get on too big a tangent because um, we will have to go back to it and then we'll forget. But 
I, I thought that was a great fight. I, I thought the scoring for it was atrocious. I don't know how oh, it got a split decision. Vera yeah, won glad. Hands down. Vera won the fight hands down in my eyes. I don't know how one judge actually gave it to Kat Zingano. Three rounds. Like, all three rounds. Three, yes, all three rounds. I'm like, are you kidding me? I gave Kat Zingano one round at best. Round three, she did look good. She came out urgent, didn't get taken down, and, and actually looked good. That's the round I gave Kat Zingano. Other than that, she got yeah. dominated. Very much so. But, but let's not forget, Kat's uh, been out for a long time. Say, now, that was a rusty that was a rusty Kat Zingano that we saw. If she comes back in another three months, four months, I think she's going to tear somebody up. Now, the reason I brought this up, because it just got aired today. I was reading MMA Junkie that Vieira was fighting on a, with a fractured rib. Ooh. Now, that's tough. I think I talked to you about that. I actually, one time, I did break a rib once um, playing softball. And don't ask me how because it makes me feel like a woman because it was really bad, embarrassing. Did break a rib, and I did play the next week. And I had seven days off in between, and I could barely. And we all know how rough co-ed softball is, okay? Very, very easy sport, very low impact. I could barely play a softball game. I don't know how that lady fought with a broken rib. She, I'm, I'm, once I heard that, and I, after seeing her fight, I am in awe of how tough that lady is because I, yeah. I could barely play softball. I mean, me and my dad, I was. Oh, Jason, we're gonna. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring J Rock on right now. Okay. Cool. We are gonna. I'm gonna introduce. We're very excited for this. Hold on one second. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to the show our first professional wrestling guest, Jay Rocchetti. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great here, man. Thanks so much for calling in. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Looks like we're going to have a good time tonight. <laughs> oh, man. I cannot wait. I'm telling you. Uh, I, I told you earlier, I've been a big fan, big wrestling fan since the 80s. I love it. I, I saw you. You know, everybody saw you come on a couple of weeks ago. We're very excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. Very <laughs> much. Okay. Hey, first off, just tell us just a little bit about what, uh, you know, tell us a little about, bit about your stuff, how you got into wrestling, when, when you started, something like that. I mean, I'm sure my story probably sounds a whole lot like anybody that's been into anything for their whole life. I, uh, you know, I fell under the spell as a kid. My dad... Uh, sat me down. It's one of the earliest things I can remember in my life is my dad sitting me down. I was probably like five years old. And the first time I saw wrestling with him on TV and then uh, going to the show and, and seeing it for the first time. I mean, I was just a child and it, it, it captured me. And I'm one of those kids, you know, everybody gets into wrestling when they're a kid. And then you reach the teenage years where you get into other sports and you kind of get away from it for a little bit. And then there's two kinds of people, the kind that never go back to it. And then there's guys like me and we're the ones that become wrestlers because it never kind of goes away. And that's, that's really what happened with me. I found a, a school. I didn't even know independent wrestling existed in 1998. And I stumbled across a local wrestling school and one thing led to another. And 20 years later, here I am. 
That's awesome, man. What uh, do you remember that first event you went to? I, like as a child? Oh, absolutely. It was at the Richfield Coliseum. It was a WWF. It was, I would uh-huh. say, must have been 1985, somewhere in that area. I'll never forget the main event was a handicap match. It was Hulk Hogan against King Kong Bundy and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I couldn't figure out how Hulk Hogan was going to beat two guys at the same time. And, uh-huh. and it, was just, it was captivating to me. I'll never forget. You know, you don't remember a lot of things. I actually can remember mm-hmm. getting out of the car, walking through the parking lot of the Richfield Coliseum that first time. Everything was so big. And then looking up at that ring in person. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it as a kid. I, I fell in love, and I've been in love ever since. That is awesome, man. Because, you know, my first one was 87. You know, right when I saw the WWF, right when the Macho Man won the title at WrestleMania four, I got to see him wrestle Andre the Giant live. I saw that, too. I saw that when it came around the loop here in Cleveland. Absolutely. Oh, wasn't that a – was just, I couldn't believe anybody could do anything to Andre. that He He was so massive. Oh, I, I'm right there with you, trust me. Um, I, I grew up in it, man. And uh, so any story you got, I probably had almost the same one right there. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, man, it was, that was the glory days for me. Um, I, I love the 80s wrestling. Um, there was just so much fun to be had. So many good tag teams. The tag teams were nuts back then. And I know you do a little bit of tag team wrestling. Do you still do that? Oh, yeah. I'm 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 a jack of all trades. Whatever you need, I can do it. Um, I love tag team wrestling. I think it's a lost art nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. There's more people to do with out there. You can do a lot of things. You can have a lot of drama and do a lot of great stuff. I love tag team wrestling. It, it truly is because back in the day, Tag team wrestling was so exciting. You got like the Harlem Heat, uh, you know, the Road Warriors, obviously, Strike Force. There were so many bu- Bulldogs. My favorite was the Dream Team, Greg the Hammer and Brutus Beefcake. Those, those, so many good tag teams that could tell a story for days. I agree with you 100%. I'm, I'm a huge fan of tag team wrestling. I mean, now, I can just in your rattle opinion, off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry ahead. about that. But in your opinion, what is the toughest match to do right now? I'm sorry. I kind of lost the question. Okay. What is, like, the toughest match for you? Like, when you have a match, you get contracted in a match, what is the match that scares you the most? Like, oh, man, this is going to be tough. Oh, um, I, don't, I don't really think of it that way. Um, you know, I'm a, I, I mean, you know, above all, I'm a professional. But, like, I, I challenge myself. You know, I don't do, obviously, I don't do crazy, I don't do all that crazy deathmatch crap that you'll see some of those people do on the internet or whatever. I, I don't do that stupid stuff, but uh, um, I, I kind of pride myself on being tough physically, and what we do is a very tough thing in, in, um, in, in all of its own ways. So I don't know that I really, there's nothing that I go, oh, man, um, I can't. I don't want to go do that. I'm lucky every every day of my life. I'm living the dream, man. So like I, I'm I'm happy to be there. I don't really dread anything. I, I I'm up for whatever the challenge of the day is. Uh, said like a true champion. That is awesome. Okay, I gotta ask. I really I have to ask. It's the truth. Seriously, I went for a few years. I 
I went through some issues, family stuff and all of that, went through the breakup of, of a marriage. And so for a few years, I got out of the wrestling business, and I was mm-hmm. full-time in the radio business, which you would appreciate doing what you do. Um, and I was an on-air radio talent. And so I got back into wrestling, and, and that's been this run that I've had now. But I had time away, and trust me when I say I'm not just uh, sounding cliche or trying to be humble when I say – I, I left it and realized how much of a part of my life it was. So I really am happy every day, grateful every day for every opportunity that comes along. And I just look at people, and I don't know if you ever got into the, the Seinfeld series, but uh, uh, I'm a huge fan of Seinfeld. And one of the lines he used to have was that he was like even Steven. Nothing, anytime something bad would happen, the universe would even itself out. And honestly, I feel that way in wrestling. It's like one thing after another, and – and people cliche and they say, oh, I'm blessed with this or that. But I really am. And I just look sometimes at my friends and go, man, this is really happening, you know. And so I'm very much appreciative of just everything I get to do. I truly am living the dream, you know. No, that I'll tell you what, there's so many, you, you know this for a fact, there's so many guys like me that are so jealous, but jealous in a good way. We're envious of what you are doing right now. Oh, I, I know exactly what you mean. I was like that for the for the longest time too. I mean, it is it was not without risk, trust me. Um I gave up a lot of sure things a few years ago, uh, to go back to chasing this thing again, but I had stuff that I left on the table and so far I think I've I've made the right decision. We'll see. Um, but the last few years have definitely been pretty good since I came back. Been getting a lot of good things going. Yeah. Um, tell us, like, one question I have before we get into what's going on now. <clears throat> have, you yeah. been in, have you been in a steel cage match? Oh, God, yeah. Do- at least a dozen. <laughs> maybe more. Okay. <laughs> okay, man, you're killing me. I'm so excited. But before we, I talk about that, I, w- I am with you that the, the late 90s craze, the ECW, where everybody went nuts with everything, I'm kind of glad that very, very dangerous stuff is has found its way out of wrestling because that was really somebody was gonna die, you know. Well, some of that stuff its way out was of a little history. too. Long. Sorry, I didn't mean to step over you there in the delay. It's found its way out of mainstream wrestling, but it still exists on a fringe level. Yeah, but it is crazy. I mean, it it, it takes it a little too far from what we love to where if someone's really gonna not make it out oh. of there. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. One day it will go too far, for sure. That's why yeah. I don't even, you know, I believe in entertainment. I believe in athleticism, all the stuff, you know, like you said, just good hard wrestling mm-hmm. and good good family fun and, and go home safe at the end of the day. Let's do it again tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so tell me, again, we'll get into your current, what's going on now, but tell me real quick, I got to know, man, this is the most exciting thing I have. What's it like being inside that cage? All right. Look, there's, first off, there's no rules here. We don't have to follow a timeline or anything like that. So uh, we can talk about whatever you want. Um, uh, so just no, no, no need to worry about that. But, uh, okay, what's it like in a steel cage? I mean, hey, uh, it's definitely intimidating. Uh, there's, there's good and bad. I mean, I'm an independent wrestler, and uh, with independent wrestling comes and goes, just like if you were an independent contractor of any kind, you're a construction guy, you're going to have some real prime gigs that are real real nice uh, construction setups, and 
you know, then you're going to have uh, you're going to have the ones that pay the bills, as they say, and they may be lesser construction setups, you know, and um, so. Same thing with steel cages. Sometimes they're a little flimsy, and those are scary for a completely different reason because you hope somebody doesn't die in the process of of completing this. But assuming that you've got a good one, man, I mean, it's definitely different because there is no give. Like it's, it, they're not they're not made out of plastic. They're not there's not any give to it. Like that is definitely um, one of the most legitimate things you can be thrown into. I mean, even hitting the ropes is problematic because there's usually in most rings not enough room when you hit the rope to fully extend out and you're going to hit the cage almost every time you come off the rope so your body definitely takes a beating um i've never come out of a steel cage match without cuts all over my body just from i mean you got to realize think about it it's just the same as the fencing you'll see in your yard so think about when you rub your hand on that, how those little burrs sometimes are on them because they don't make them completely clean. They're not stainless steel. Those things, uh, they'll, they'll cut you up pretty good. So um, it's definitely one of those times when you're in there. It's a different feeling, though. It's surreal because you're looking around and you can kind of see people through it, but you kind of can't because all you can see is this ominous thing around you and you know you're getting ready to you know, get at it at whatever level you're getting ready to get at it, you know, and uh, it's definitely fun in, in its own way. It's exhilarating in its own way. I have a fun, uh, different definition of fun, I guess, than the average person, but, uh, you know, that's what we do, man. You know, I've had about 2,000 matches, man, so obviously I'm different that's than the average. <laughs> yeah, man. Now, how long, when you became a professional wrestler, how long did it take you to actually be able to, like, was it ingrained in you from the start, or did it take you years to develop? How long did it take you to actually be able to hear the fans while you're wrestling? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, first off, I'm still learning to this day. Any, you know, when you stop learning, you're dead. But um, mm-hmm. it took a while. Like, at first you go through the numbers, and it's definitely a, you know, a growing process, a learning curve, I guess. But uh, I don't know. I would say – maybe around 500 matches or so uh, somewhere in that area. I, I guess some lights started to come on, but even then it wasn't until I stepped away. Cause I reached a point about 12, 13 years into this thing where I was really starting to beat my head against a glass ceiling. And then, you know, sometimes you get frustrated and I like to say, there's a point where you can either get better or you can get bitter. And um, so and that happened to coincide with the time that I stepped away from wrestling. And that was really the best thing that ever happened to me because something that I love had kind of gotten twisted into something that was really frustrating me a little bit. And I needed to step away. And so that actually did even more for you know, when I came back, I just saw the business differently because I had gotten away from it and then got back. But it was, I would say it was a good four, five, 600 matches somewhere in that area, which I guess if you were looking at years, it took me probably eight, nine years, something like that, to reach that level, seven, eight years, somewhere like that. So, Because, you know, at, at that level, you're only wrestling a few times a month. So, um, yeah, I guess I would say about, about that, about five, 600 matches to really start to feel the crowd and, and begin to really be able to tell some stories athletically. That is awesome, though. That, 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 I, I can't imagine um... – Anybody that's done sports, and once you really get into something, 
much less wrestling, like a very, very contact-oriented sport. Very, very hard to hear, and you have to be able to hear it. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, that's just it. It's not You don't just hear it, though. You don't hear it with your ears. You hear it with your heart. You feel it. Um, mm-hmm. for, wrestling to work, for wrestling to work the right way, uh, the idea has to go – it has to go in, in through your brain, obviously. It starts in your brain. It has to go through your heart and then come out, uh, whatever, whether it's verbally or physically or whatever. And if you don't do it that way, it's not real. It's not organic. It's not natural. It's not relatable. Um, it's got to be real. It's got You've got to process it that way, and that's what so many guys miss, I think, nowadays. Yeah. Now, what or who, when you were growing up, who was the one wrestler that really, really made you say, "Man, I gotta, I, I really have to do this. I want to, I want to do this." Who was the one oh, guy I, you looked up to and said, "Man, I love that guy." Hulk Hogan. It's easy. Hulk Hogan. Come on, man. I was a kid in the '80s. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Dude, I'm not like one of these guys <laughs> that you hear. There's, there's guys that'll tell you, "Oh yeah, when I was a kid, uh, Ric Flair was my guy." Bull. Come on. It was no kid in America out there cheering for bad guys back then. That's not how America was. You you rooted for the good guys and you booed the bad guys. It wasn't until about the 90s that things kind of started changing a little bit there as far as the culture of America. So uh, I always laugh when people that are the same age as me say, oh, yeah, I was a big Ric Flair fan or I loved it. He was such a great worker. And I'm like, get out of here. You were five years old, man. You were taking your prayers and eating your vitamins and doing all that stuff and and uh <laughs> Get out of here, man, you know. So it's easy. When people ask me why I became a wrestler, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, Dusty Rhodes, guys like that, you know. Ric Flair, too, uh, definitely in a different way. But I was a, I was yeah. a straight up, I mean, good guys across the board, man, you know. Dude, I, I have an original. I bought it in 87, has never been worn by me, the original Hulk Hogan shirt, the tank top, the yellow tank. Never wore Kid, I, I had the Hulk Hogan workout set in 1987 with the tank top and the jump rope uh-huh. and the little squeezy hand metal thing and the tape of Hulk Hogan oh, yeah. telling you to do jumping jacks for about 10 minutes on a loop. Sweet. It was, man, Hulk Hogan, you know, as good as he was, I liked him back then. Um, I really, I, I didn't dislike him. You know, the one guy that really scared me, though, King Kong Bundy was the first guy I ever saw wrestle, and it I felt so bad for the guy. He was wrestling just uh, like a Saturday morning show, and I felt so bad for the guy that he avalanched. I started crying. I thought he killed the guy. I'm telling you, the first show that I ever saw in person, that was the main event, was Bundy in a handicap match with Heenan, and Bundy walked past me, and I had till that point in time, I had never seen a human being that size before. And yeah, he was yeah. so, so large and so massive. And what's ironic is that all those years later, I would be in the ring against King Kong Bundy. Like, get out of here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm not trying to sound like a fanboy, but at that time, that's what it was like to me. Because you're like, I was a kid looking up at this mammoth man walking past mm-hmm. me in the first wrestling show I ever went to at a big arena, and and here I am in a ring with the same guy. And I could tell you that story about countless guys, Greg Valentine, Jimmy Snuka, on and on and on about those, yeah. those guys, and you're in the ring with them, and you're just like, 
my God, I remember my dad and I, it just, it's so surreal to be honest with you. Oh, I can't believe you got Greg Valentine was my hero back then. Um, I love that guy. I still have his little wrestling, his, uh, uh, what was it? The, the wrestling figure they made, you know, the hard rubber ones. Um, absolutely. Those LJN hard rubber figures. Yeah. Yeah. I still have Greg the hammer. I got Roddy Piper. I got all those. I got about 20 of them still. That it's guy, nuts. I just love, man, the figure four is my favorite thing in the world. With, with the exception of a few of the biggest stars of the 80s, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you could go through them, and I have been blessed, the ones that are alive. I mean, from Coco Beware to Brutus Beefcake. Oh, wow. I mean, on and on through the, you know, Lanny Poffo and, uh, I mean, yeah. you name them, through the 80s, all of those guys, um, uh, the demolitions and the barbarian and the you know uh, I mean oh, just yeah. over the years all those guys it's nuts when you work with them and you're like come on man honky tonk man Jake the Snake Roberts Jesus I'm I'm a part of Jake the Snake Roberts life story for like ever because of the way life has worked out how surreal to think that I was a little kid watching him at WrestleMania three and and mm-hmm. he was the scariest thing ever and. You know, uh, a lifetime later, I'm on the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts DVD on Netflix, and I'm a part of his whole stupid life. It's <laughs> that, crazy no, that's how awesome. this worked out. It's crazy. It's not awesome, by the way. That is the the chapter of my life that I wish I could erase, but unfortunately, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> and now I gotta watch that again. I know I watched it, but I'm definitely gonna watch that one again. Um, you won't recognize me. No. You won't recognize me because I weighed about 325 pounds when I filmed my parts of it. I'm in the very beginning uh, sections of the movie. And mm-hmm. um, actually, that was when I got, when I went down to Paige's mansion for the, well, it's not a mansion, but it's just a very big house. And uh, when I went down to his uh, his place, um, I got, I did the stuff for the weekend. And then I said, hey, while I'm here, I hear so much about that DDP yoga stuff. I'm really just now starting to come back. And uh, they said here, and they gave me the max pack or whatever it was called. And uh, so I took the thing home with me, started doing it. And he gave me some diet, diet tips and stuff while I was there. And sure enough, I'll give DDP yoga credit uh, like crazy. DDP yoga is probably responsible for the first 50 or so pounds that I lost on my comeback. It's all of my, my comeback is very much powered by DDP yoga. That, That thing is the real deal. I don't get paid a penny to tell people that, but I will tell anybody that has back issues, legs, hips, uh, joints, everything that wrestlers hurt, uh, DDP yoga stretches it out and fixes it. And uh, a few months of that stuff, and I was more flexible than I'd ever been. And then, then the weight just started falling off. Because, you know, while I was out for three years, I'm in radio, sitting on my ass, talking all the time for a living, eating food from restaurants that are being brought in every day, and, and I'm living, you know, a different life. And so... You know, when I came back to wrestling, I was 320-some pounds and, and had to get back into being a wrestler shape. And DDP yoga was a very big part of it. So, you know, while I may regret having been a part of a bad story in Jake the Snake Roberts' life, who knows, mm-hmm. man, it, maybe it was happened because all those years later, DDP yoga was a huge part of getting me to where I'm at right now. I mean, I tell people all the time, they say, man, how'd you get – back and get better than you were 10 years ago. I'm like, DDP yoga was a huge part of it. Dude, that is, that's awesome. That, I, I've, I've been a big fan of DDP. Um, I saw him, 
they used to rerun the old AWA stuff, so I got to watch him when he was managing back then. Um, oh, I yeah. don't think it was the Red Crew. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, he was managing for the AWA. That's that AWA classic that they show on ESPN, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's when he first, Man, first I, started. That was before he even yeah. became a wrestler. Yeah, definitely. So I started watching him. The first time I ever, when I, when I, you know, like you said, teenage years, I stopped watching wrestling. Late teenage years, um, high school, you know, I picked it back up. And the first time I watched WCW was when I realized Bret Hart had gone over there. So I started watching WCW then, and I really enjoyed it. And that's when I saw DDP and all those guys. I had not, never had any experience with anything but WWF at that time. Yeah, and, and you know what a lot of people failed to realize that I think now when you look back, it's very obvious if you know anything about uh, the demographics is people talk about the that era, the Monday Night Wars era, and say that's like when you know wrestling had the most fans and it'll never go back. And they try to say that it's not as good as it used to be. But I think what people failed to realize is the reason the Monday Night, that era worked with Nitro and Raw is because um, – you had it was the they were able to bring two fan bases together because mm-hmm. like you just mentioned okay you're that group of fans that just like I was that in the 80s you loved Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Roddy Piper and Bret Hart and all of these guys that were WWF and then you quit watching yeah. wrestling I'm guessing if you're anywhere near my age you probably quit watching wrestling somewhere in the early 90s and you, you went without it for, you know, till the mid-90s. And like you said, around 97, 98, you realized, holy crap, there's this new wrestling show, and here's all the guys that I watched when I was a kid, except now they're bad guy. Hulk Hogan's a bad guy. Randy Savage is a bad They're in a whole different place. So a yeah. bunch of people that were in that age group came back to wrestling after being gone for five or six years because it was like their childhood had come back but on a different channel than they had remembered it before. But at the same time, WWF was building a regular new modern wrestling audience. And when you put those two together, all of a sudden you had this huge audience from the 80s that came back because it's like they found a piece of their childhood again. And then you had the modern wrestling audience and and it was on fire because WWF was on fire with stone cold and all of that stuff. And when you put those two audiences together, you had 10, 11, 12 million wrestling fans every week. It it was a freak, uh, a freak um, like collision of things that I don't think you could ever replicate again. No, I don't know that we will replicate. I don't think we'll see that again. Having lived through it, it was so amazing at that time. It really was. If you think about it, if you think about it the only way – it's funny because I've had this conversation with people recently, and they say, man, there could, could there be Monday Night Wars again, blah, blah, blah. In all reality, if you think about what happened before, the only mm-hmm. way that could happen, it would be the equivalent of – Let's just say Ring of Honor. It would be, the, well, I guess Impact, but I think Ring of Honor in America is actually bigger than Impact right now just because they have better TV exposure. And uh, mm-hmm. they've got as much as much name value as the, the Impact car. So whatever, but let's just say Ring of Honor for argument's sake. Theoretically, yeah. to replicate the Monday Night Wars, Ring of Honor would have to sign Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and perhaps whatever other, I don't know, name one or two other really upper echelon guys that are floating out there. 
um, and put them in the ring on a weekly basis to to bring that back. And so think of how rare of a thing we're talking about because that in in reality is what WCW was able to do. They were able to take not one, not two, but four or five main events, not like just guys on the card. They were able to take the main guys on the card and replicate them on another show. That's almost impossible to do. Like I said, you would have to get Stone Cold, The Rock, Mick Foley. Goldberg. 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 Yeah, you like those four. Maybe if, if Ring of Honor signed those four and then mixed them in with the roster that they got, they could get that kind of level like where you could have a Monday Night War again. And think of how impossible what I just said. I mean, how do you sign Stone Cold and The Rock? <laughs> They're retired. You don't sign The Rock. You don't sign Goldberg. You, don't, you know what I mean? No. So it's impossible. No. There's no way to do it now. No, Goldberg was mentioned by my co-host, who doesn't know anything about wrestling, but he does know Goldberg, so that wasn't me. That's something right there for all the the smart yep. wrestling fans that talk crap about Goldberg. Here's a guy that doesn't know anything about wrestling, but he knows Goldberg. Definitely, yeah. Oh man, this now here's here's another thing that I think uh, we talked about tag team wrestling being a lost art. What about the art? Yeah. Now you grew up with Bobby the Brain Heen and Classy Freddie Blassie. Remember the Grand Wizard? Um, the manager. Uh, I know where he Yeah. What about the lost art of the real good managers? That's that's one of the saddest things that I lament in today's wrestling business because, um, like, when I quit wrestling, that's that's a definite direction that I should head in my career. I mean, I, I got into radio. Uh, verbal, mm-hmm. verbal stuff is kind of what I do, as you guys can tell. You ask me what time it is, and I'll tell you how to build a watch. So... Um, I'm especially sensitive to this subject. I think it's incredible how short-sighted WWE was to completely – I mean, think about it. I understand why. I've had people in WWE explain to me why they don't want managers, and it's because to them – uh, if you take like Bobby Heenan stable, right? It was the Heenan family. Yeah. So it could be interchangeable guys. It could be Haku, the barbarian, you know, Rick rude, Mr. Perfect, Andre, whoever was in it was in it, but it was always the Heenan family. So the heat was always on the manager. And for some reason that is like a no, no now where they want the heat to be on the guy. And so they think it undermines the talent for, for the, the focus to be on the manager. And I think that's nuts because, Hulk Hogan was built on the Bobby Heenan family. That was that was his entire 1980s was fending off one member of the Heenan family after another. And Bobby Heenan's sworn goal in life was to take out Hulk Hogan so much that he was able to convince Andre the Giant to turn his back on his lifelong <laughs> friend in his quest to find somebody that was able to beat Hulk Hogan. I mean, when you think about that... Think about how much bigger of a star John Cena would have been if they'd have just given him a Bobby Heenan family and Bobby Heenan kept the heat and just kept feeding heels to John Cena over and over. And so I think they're cheating themselves. Paul Heyman is a perfect example of of a good manager. And I really, I think they're going to come back around. I think once Triple H is completely in charge, I really think he's more of a wrestler obviously, than a lot of the people, including Stephanie. And you can see his influence all over. You can see it on NXT. He's definitely into the wrestling-based product. I could see managers, maybe not a million of them, but I can see one or two of them starting to get opportunities again because I think you're absolutely right. If you think back over the years, I mean, Bobby the Brain Heenan is the greatest manager of all time. 
uh, but there were yeah. so many other ones. And I mean, it's Mr. when you Fuji. go back, Mr. Fuji was yeah, great. We could just we could name managers for ten minutes. I mean, they were all great, and there are none anymore. And they're, the only managers are valets now. They think the only people who want to see are, are girls out there, and I disagree. Although a, a female manager can be great, that that's not what I'm saying. But yeah, I, I I really think that's one of the things that I think wrestling cheats itself in a lot of ways because of stuff just like that. Tag teams could be a main event. They don't have to main event every week, but if you treat tag team wrestling with respect, then every couple weeks, you know, on television or every couple months at the house show, if you're an independent promotion, your tag team title match can can be a main event of a show and can carry a show all by itself. Oh. You know, man, those two out of three tag team title matches were epic. Those things are, man, you can't, you just can't not forget about those kind of matches. You know, back when they had, when those table ladder chair matches became real famous was because they had great tag teams in there. Yeah. Even when I was a kid, I remember growing up on tag team matches where um, the commentators would argue that there should be two referees and every once in a while, because there was so much action, it was hard for one referee to keep up with it. And, and sometimes you'd get a match where it'd be so big that there'd be two referees. And, and like, I love stuff like that. And I don't, and there's that stuff would still work today, you know? Yes. And, and yeah, especially back then it happened so rarely that when it did, it was a huge, huge deal. Like remember when Saturday night's main event was the biggest thing in the world. Sure do. Man. Yeah, kid, it was the biggest thing in my world. It was so cool to be able to stay up late on Saturday night and watch wrestling. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw like, it. Was it good stuff. It wasn't yeah. your, your superstars matches. Yeah. No, it was great. It was The first one I saw was a steel cage match with Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff. And uh, mm-hmm. that was my first yeah. experience of that kind of Wow. That's so funny that you bring that up because I was going to tell you that the very first angle I ever watched play out on television was in October of 1986 through through December. It was the greatest to, to this day. Maybe because, you know, the things you watch as a kid resonate more. Maybe it wasn't as great as I remember. But, my God, I think mm-hmm. to this day, the greatest things I've ever seen was the four or five-week angle with Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful where – I literally could close my eyes and I could tell you every step of it right now. Like I remember that Mr. Wonderful convinced Hulk Hogan to be his tag team partner and they were coming out to the same music and they were both doing the cup in the ear thing. And, and Hulk Hogan got everybody to believe that Mr. Wonderful was a good guy now. And then, and then uh, Bobby Heenan started trying to drive a wedge between them. And I'll never forget like uh, Bobby Heenan for a couple of weeks on the, on the different talk shows, uh, the flower shop and the Piper's pit would be uh, trying to convince Orndorff that Hogan had an ego and he wasn't really his partner. And then, uh, then they had a a match against the moon dogs and and Mr. Wonderful like tagged in and won the whole match by himself just to show off in front of Hulk Hogan. And then, and then the next week he tried to call Hulk Hogan while Hogan was at the gym. And I was a kid. I'm just crazy that I remember the details, but I remember they told him that Hulk Hogan was benching 450 pounds or something and he couldn't get to the phone and Mr. Wonderful <laughs> snapped and thought Hulk Hogan was disrespecting him and if you remember it all built up to that match with, with King Kong Bundy and Big John Studd and then Hulk Hogan uh, uh, or uh, uh, Mr. Wonderful turned on him and, and gave him yeah. that pile and, and like that was the first real angle I ever watched play out it was the first time that I ever watched a good guy turn bad and I remember like I thought it was as real as real could get and I was a kid I couldn't have been no more than five or six when that happened and 
it it was like I can't even tell you. It was like a real life betrayal. I I'll just and it, it, it's <laughs> to this day I'm 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 a grown man and I still remember it. It's and so that's the stuff that wrestling does is it creates stuff like that in people that they remember all those years later. Hey, I've been wrestling 20 years and I get guys that come up to me now, which is kind of sad now because <laughs> it makes me remember that I've been doing it for 20 years, but I get guys coming up to me now saying, I remember when you did this or you did that. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Yeah, I did do that a long <laughs> time ago. Oh, that is cool. Um, you tell us about, um, I mean, you and I could probably talk old old school all day. I love this. But tell us about what what's going on now. I mean, you came, you know, I saw you a couple of weeks ago. It was a big deal. You got to wrestle. You had Jessica I with you. You got to wrestle Congo Khan, um, who's very getting up there in impact, a big, huge guy. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, who, who you're wrestling for, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm busier than I've ever been, and that's crazy 20 years in to be able to say that I'm in the best shape I've ever been. I'm busier than I've ever been. Uh, I'm doing some stuff. I've got, been able and blessed to get a few uh, really good opportunities recently with Ring of Honor Wrestling. Uh, as a matter of fact, the last match I did with them should air in the next week or two across all of their platforms and stuff. So, you know, hopefully that keeps going, and... um I'll tell you, this is what I mean when I say the last few years have been absolutely crazy. I mean, in 2018 alone, uh, I've I've been involved in so much crazy stuff, it's ridiculous. And this thing last weekend, uh, that that match Mm -hmm. ended up making news because Jessica, you know, she's a friend of mine and she accompanied me to the ring and she got physically involved. That thing ended up making news from (laughs) USA Today to Showtime. It was on Showtime Network a couple of days ago. They, they have some new talk show, and clips of it made that. Uh, this thing was on news in, like, India, in the Ukraine, in Russia, and, and uh, just all over the place. I couldn't believe it. Uh, it really went crazy viral, especially because it was coming right on the heels of the Ronda Rousey stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of nuts. And, and Congo Kong and I have wrestled several times. We've always had some really really physical matches, and this one was no different. And that was on a pay-per-view, and that was my first time main eventing a, a, a wrestling pay-per-view, which was pretty cool. And so that, that was a, a very neat thing. No, that was cool. I, I, I've i watched Jessica I ever since she came on uh, into the UFC. So I knew who she I've was. Since she was fighting in the flats in Cleveland before Bellator, before UFC. Uh, let me tell you, they made a mistake finally getting that 125 going because at 125, Jessica is the best in the world. And I promise you that everybody will see that very soon. She was fighting so out of her weight class, and she was still – she wasn't getting knocked out. She wasn't getting submitted. She was losing decisions. She was just – and why do you think – here's what I tell people. You name me another mm-hmm. list of fighters, and I'll wait for you to give me another list of fighters that went through a losing streak like Jessica did that, that keep their job in UFC. There's a reason oh, why, yeah. because Jessica was taking – she was out of her weight class. She was still – she was right there, and so – and now that they got the flyweight division going, I'm telling you, she throws hands, but she wrestles, and people underestimate that. I know she's my friend, so it sounds like I'm just putting her over, but um, Jessica, <laughs> she's going to own that 125 division. No, she looked very good in her first fight. Not that it was an easy fight. And uh, I remember that one a couple – it's been a month or so. A couple months now, actually. 
But right, she um, she was wrestling with her the whole time, you know, like yeah, yeah. No, because really, always been that but hard. She she wants to make her her weaknesses into her strengths, you know. Yeah, she's always had good hands. Um, man, I I'll tell you, I was really happy when she fought. The first fight I saw her in the UFC was with Sarah Kaufman, who's you know a strike force champion. Sarah beat her, and oh, then yeah. she had to fight Leslie Smith, who was tough as anything and just dominated her. And I knew That's she I, I'm, I've been a fan ear, of her right? then. After ear, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal. I mean, that's I've never not and my co-host is the same same as me. We're big fans of hers, and that's what I saw you walking out with her. I'm like, oh my god, this is two of my favorite things in the world. You know, it's actually the second time she's come to the ring with me, and uh, both times she's ended up mixing it up a little bit. Um, and hey, she's expressed to me that whenever you know, right now, obviously she's 110 percent UFC, uh, but whenever mm-hmm. that passes. Whenever that path runs out, I know that she's definitely intrigued with pro wrestling, and I have a, a bona fide resume as a trainer. Like, I've trained a couple of national wrestling talents right now. Um, oh, cool. And I would definitely – yeah, uh, EC3 uh, from WWE. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Shane Taylor from Ring of Honor are two of the guys that I trained. Um, and uh, so – I definitely, the offer is on the table. I would definitely teach Jessica the basics, and then I could pass her right on along. I know that they would love to have her uh, down there at the Performance Center. So who knows? Trust me. I think the whole world may get to see a whole lot more of her, but she's got a lot of work still to do in the UFC first. Oh, definitely. And and there, there's been, I, I mean, I'm sure you remember Ken Shamrock. I mean, he was the first one to make it big, but he, he came from pro wrestling then got into MMA, then back to pro wrestling. He uh, he did fairly well when he came back to WWE for his run. Absolutely. And if you look at not only that, but just looking ahead, knowing the wrestling scene like I know it as a uh, as a business scene, and looking at it with the with the oncoming debut of Ronda Rousey and Shania Baszler mm-hmm. coming up through development. Oh, That's yeah. another mixed martial artist and Jessamine Duke, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, if if and when Jessica would want to make that transition, she's got a lot of just natural kind of rivalries that she could dive right into because you've got, you know, a lot of the same pedigrees and backgrounds, you know. Oh, very much so. Um, I remember back when – this was back in the strike force days, Nisha Tate, she, when she could talk to more people because, you know, it wasn't so big back then. I was a, a friend of hers on, on MySpace. And she was talking about this and that and, and MMA. And I said, hey, you would be amazing over in Impact Wrestling. And she she acknowledged it and said, hey, it's, it's something I'm looking at. Yeah, well, I agree. Uh, she's got the instincts for it. And um, mm-hmm. when she's when she's ready to go down that road, I will definitely uh, I'll definitely teach her some stuff for sure if she's up for it. No, that is cool. And I've seen... Uh, little bits and pieces. I remember watching Tough Enough, and it just it I you know from a, a kid and and now an adult obviously, I I always thought wrestling it looked so fun. I never really realized how actually physically hard it is, and that's just the very couple, first couple of days of the basics. It's amazing how hard it really is on your body. That's the truth. Like I have, um, I'm a trainer and I'm also known as a, I'm kind of like a mechanic in the ring. I'm known as a guy that can work with people that are not in the wrestling business. So 
let's say, for example's sake, uh, the local the local arena football team, maybe the coach, you know, maybe you work they work out a sponsorship deal with a local wrestling company. So somehow you shoot an angle and it builds up to the coach getting in the ring. I would usually be the guy that a lot of places would put in that ring because I'm able to get something something closely resembling a professional wrestling uh, contest out of those people, if what I'm saying makes sense. So a lot of times I've worked outsiders. I've worked with football players. I've worked with coaches. I've worked with, oh, boy, I've worked with all, I've worked with science teachers, brother, let me just tell you. But, uh, no, I've, I've worked with people outside the business, legitimate athletes of various different sports, all jokes aside. And one of the things they tell me is, is to a man, and some of them have worked with WWE and Impact and Ring of Honor and all that stuff, uh, to a man, they'll tell you pro wrestling is every bit as up there as anything else they've done um, as, oh, far yeah. as, physical, as far as the pounding, as far as the, the work that it took to do it. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, it looks fun and all that, but I, I totally have so much respect for it. Um, I just, I couldn't imagine. I would, man, and most people would say the same thing, but I remember professional football players going in. And you remember probably the most famous one was Lawrence Taylor, completely yeah. gassing out when he, when he wrestled. You know, it's not what it looks like. It's not, I mean, you guys make it look easy because you are ready for it. It is very, very hard. I agree. Oh, you have to tell me, man. And I get to work with a lot of those guys. I trained the lead singer of a band, uh, a heavy metal band called Mushroom Head. Uh, I trained him how to be a wrestler and broke him in the business. So I've worked with all kinds of people outside of wrestling. So uh, they all definitely appreciate exactly what you just said once they try to do it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, do you, uh, speaking, like I'm going to an indie event this month where I live. Do you ever get out uh, to the West Coast for these? Uh, I actually, I'm hoping to get out there in the next few months. I've got quite a few promoters that are interested in something if I can make my way out there. But I stay booked so much out here that I'm primarily Midwest, East Coast, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that kind of thing. But I definitely am, uh, most definitely. Why? Where are you going? Uh, I'm I'm up in Northern California, and there's uh, there's an event. There's, somebody puts on, they put on a show here every six to eight months. And uh, this is just for a small area, but everybody goes. You know, it's, it's really cool. So you, you might know her, Andrea the Giant. Have you heard of her? Definitely. Uh, sounds familiar, yes. Okay, yeah, she's going to be there. She is terrific. She's a very big, strong lady. Um, she's very nice, actually, because you can beat her. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen her work before. Okay, yeah, she's going to be there. Um, and, and some local people, stuff like that. It's one of those kind of indie events, you know. We take what we can get up here. <laughs> oh no, I, I those are the that's what we do. I I'm all I'm I'm an independent wrestler myself. I, that's what I do. I travel the country and do shows just like that. Trust me, those are every bit uh, as good as as WWE on many levels. Trust me, those guys, many of them can go. I always tell guys, yeah, you're gonna get your share of ooh, those guys are wrestlers. But you're going to get your mm-hmm. share of guys that bust their ass. You're going to get some really good stuff, too, where you're going to say, hey, okay, I can appreciate that. Oh, definitely. I mean, you go in there, and, and it's fun. I mean, these guys, every one of them, they still, they're working hard for us. And we, mm-hmm. my kids and I, we have a blast. And, you know, in between, you get to go meet these people. And it's a, such a, for my kids especially, it's such a fun experience. 
do you know how many people, even WWE fans, don't even know that independent wrestling exists? Like, in 2018, they still don't know that it exists. They they can't even understand it until they see it and go, oh, wow, I didn't even know. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's you, you got to get out there, especially local stuff. Um, they let you my, – my daughter got to get in the ring and stand up on the turnbuckle, and she was – she loved it. And You're no never, idea yeah. – yeah, you just you got to get out there. You got to as soon as you hear it, you got to go. I, I'll tell everybody, even you know, even people you would never believe would like it. They started like you said when they were kids. Their parents were into it, and you just you go, you go and have fun. And like you said, exactly, you're going to experience things you can't do even at a WWE show about getting up closer to the ring, meeting the wrestlers up close and personal, and. I mean, a lot of these guys now, without there being a WCW, without there being an ECW, the independents are the farm system to NXT and to WWE. So a lot of times I'm telling you, you're going to go to these independent shows and you're not going to know anybody on the show. But five years later, you're going to see a guy on WWE and go, oh, my goodness, I saw that guy at the VFW hall. You know, like, yep, that's how it works yeah, exactly. nowadays. Yeah, and you might even get lucky. Like, I got to meet the Iron Sheik. Um, 10 years ago, 14 years ago, something like that. And that was, that was amazing. I got to actually shake his hand. Lots of stars work the independence now. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting world out there. And I'm always, I'm always amazed at people, how many people find it for the first time and say, I never knew this existed, which you would think is nuts. If you're a wrestling fan and the internet mm-hmm. exists in 2018, how could you not find it? But, <laughs> But it's possible because there's just so much other stuff. We live in a bubble, whether it's MMA or whether it's boxing or whether it's wrestling or whatever your sport of choice is. You get in the bubble and you don't realize that people outside that bubble don't even realize what you're into. Yep. It's true. Um, Back in the old days, you know, when when we were growing up, there was a lot more. um, They had, besides just the WWF, they had the NWA was huge. uh, AWA, WCCW, if you remember that one. I'm sure you do. Um, have you ever – that's what I wanted to ask you about. You remember the old WCCW guys, like the Von Erichs? Um, I grew have up you ever that. been – That oh, one wow. grew up on that when it was on ESPN uh, it, in Cleveland. We got it at – it was on at 3 o'clock or something like that every afternoon. So I'd get home from school, and it would be on ESPN five days a week. Nice. Did you ever get the chance to go see the Sportatorium? Have you seen that? Nope. By the time I got, it's it's actually was sad. I got to Texas for the first mm-hmm. time. I got right outside of that uh, area, uh, northern Dallas there, um, in 2011, and it was just after. I think it was less than a year after. That was the first question I asked when I got off the airplane was. <laughs> I go by the sportatorium. I was able to go by the place where the sportatorium used to be. It's just an empty, you know, it was torn down and everything, but um, I missed it. I missed it by about a year, but I was up there in North Dallas and uh, trust me, I'm a huge or world-class in my childhood. WWF, NWA. I didn't see an AWA where I, where I lived. We did not get AWA. So that was like, only in the magazines would I hear about whatever happened there. I didn't even know how to yeah. say Nick Bockwinkle. Nick Bockwinkle was just a guy <laughs> with a funny – he had a funny-looking name. You know, I didn't know how to say Ganya. I didn't know how to say Zabisco. I didn't know who those guys were. 
Um, yeah. But I knew one class. I grew up on the Von Erics. I grew up on Gary Hart and Abdullah the Butcher and Bruiser yeah. Brody and all that stuff. Oh, man. Kamala was – I was scared of that guy too. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, AWA, they always seem to me to be the much more technical – organization um i didn't ever really get to watch nwa but awa they really really focused on mat work um larry zabisco that guy was nuts it took him half an hour before the match actually started there's a bisco stall you know but i mean it's funny because i i appreciate awa classic matches now but as a kid not only did we not get the television but the stuff i did see the only thing I ever saw in the AWA that I liked was when I saw the Road Warriors in the AWA. Other than that, oh. it was it was just to me it was more boring as a kid than mm-hmm. the more colorful NWA or WWF guys. Yeah, you know I did see the one match that sticks out to me, and I can't remember if it was AWA or not. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, my fr- my dad's friend loaned me a videotape. He said, hey, got to watch this match. It was a, an Iron Man match. It was a 60-minute match. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Kurt Henning. I know it was Kurt Henning. I think it was Kurt, Kurt Henning versus Jeff Waller. Oh, was oh, it Waller? Oh, yeah, I no, know which Waller. one you're talking Yes, I know which, which one you're talking uh, The roll of quarters that came out at the end. Uh, That's the one that we won, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That's how I became – ever since that one match, I mean, I have liked Kurt Henning. And he's still one of my top five ever because of that. That guy was amazing. Yeah, Mr. Perfect is definitely near the top of my list, too. As a kid, obviously, we're in the same age range, clearly, because I grew up in those those Mr. Perfect vignettes for weeks before he debuted where he's hitting the home run. He's throwing himself a touchdown pass. He's hitting the three-pointer. He's hitting the hole-in-one. He's the perfect oh, diver, the perfect everything, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he was, you know what? I do this every time I play softball. My buddy and I, my my co-host and I were just talking about this. Uh, A lady fought over the weekend at the UFC 222 with a fractured rib. And I said, hey, I broke a rib playing softball. I know it's tough. But I do this every time I play softball. I spit my gum out and try and hit it like Mr. Perfect. And I can only get it maybe 25% of the time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Mr. Perfect. The spit with the gum. I mean, that's very hard to do, and he got it every time without missing. He never misses. Never. I'm telling you, I was lucky enough that I got to meet him a couple of times. I mean, we were, you know, it was just, hi, nice to meet you, honor to meet you, that kind of stuff. But I was lucky enough to meet him a couple of times, but I've been able to talk to lots of people that worked with him hands-on, up close for years and years and years, and to a man, they all say that Mr. Perfect was not a gimmick. Like, obviously, those vignettes were, were for television. But yeah. that's the, reason, the reason that they gave him the gimmick is because in real life, he made everything look so easy. He really did hit hole-in-ones, and he really did uh, <laughs> he go 10 for 10 at the batting page. And when he went uh, hunting, he would catch the biggest whatever they were hunting. Fishing, he would catch the biggest fish. And and all of his friends would say, man, Kurt makes everything so easy. The girls loved him. Everything was easy. And so that was where the gimmick came from because that was kind of what he was like in real life, just exaggerated a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's very – yeah, I, I, it, it was amazing growing up with that. Now, 
back to what you do. Can you tell us um, locker room etiquette? Is that really? We always hear about this locker room etiquette stuff, you know, and the the you know the rumor roundup stuff like that. In your opinion, is that a real a real thing? Do you really have to pay attention to what's going on in those locker rooms? Absolutely. I mean, this business is built on respect, period. Uh, <laughs> from the time you walk in the building until the time you uh, uh, leave at night, and it's built on trust. Uh, you know, the the wrestlers trust that the ring crew put the ring together safely. The ring crew trusts that the truck got all the parts there. The, the, this person, the sound guy trusts that the announcer is going to have it right. Everybody trusts everybody to do their job. Right. We trust each other to get us through the night safely. Um, and respect is a huge part of that. And, and I believe that's something that's really lost in a lot of the guys coming along now. Not everybody. I am not one of these guys that says every young guy coming along doesn't know what he's doing. And, he's, and that's not true. There are guys that are still taught the right way. But unfortunately, it is becoming a larger percentage of guys that are not brought in the right way anymore because the guys, you're getting further and further away from the time when the era that we're talking about where people made their living, put food on the tables by the wrestling business uh, in large numbers. And so as you get away from that further, you get away from people who were trained in that era. And, you know, there's a big difference when you're trained by somebody. I'll even say nowadays, think about it. If you're, even if you were trained by a 15 year vet, and that's a hell of a long time to work. Let's say in 2018, you were going to be trained by a guy who's been in the business for 15 years. That means that okay. guy got in the business. That means he got in the business in 2003. Like at that point in time, there he never spent the day of his life uh, working kayfabe. He never spent the day of his life protecting it to put food on the table. He came. That's a totally different era. I mean, that's not even the 90s. That's we're talking 2003. So you're yeah. quickly hitting the point now. And and it's very rare to find trainers that are 15 years because there's a lot of guys nowadays that are five, six years in the business and they're training guys. So think about that. If you're five or six years in the business, hey, hell, you broke in in 2012 and you're training people. So, I mean, that that's crazy. And so it's going to very quickly decline and deteriorate the locker room etiquette even more because there's no more there's no more guys that. I mean, there were reasons that you shook everybody's hand. I mean, you knew better. If you didn't, there were guys that would walk up and slap you. I mean, when I broke into oh, business, wow. I numerous times guys get open hand slapped in locker rooms over etiquette issues and not showing proper wow. respect to people. Things that are unheard of nowadays. Because if you did that nowadays, some punk ass kid would go call the cops and call his mom and dad or something, and 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 there's nobody left that police his locker rooms like they did back in the day and so that's almost that's one of the biggest problems I think and so but yes respect is huge locker room etiquette is huge it'll cost you a job it'll cost you respect it'll get you beat up it'll get a lot of things it'll change the course of your career if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time that's awesome not if you're in the wrong place not awesome at all (laughs) Yeah. Now, before we go, I want to get your take. When when I watched the wrestling, uh, not the wrestling, the wrestling, the, the first time that I got any clue to what was really going on was when uh, Hitman Heart, the Wrestling with Shadows movie came out, uh, the behind the scenes. 
I had yeah. no idea what was happening. Did you were you wrestling at that time or was that something that took you by surprise too? No, I hadn't gotten in the business yet. That was a, about a year and a half before I started wrestling. Um mm-hmm. I can honestly tell you that the very first time I stepped in the ring, I had no clue how it worked. I had no I could not figure out. I knew there had to be something, but I had no clue what it was. And mm-hmm. I was trained very old school. Uh, it wasn't a paint-by-numbers, hey, here's how it works. First you do this, 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 uh, this, this. It was nothing like that. It was literally peeled away to me like an onion, one thing at a time. As I came across it, then I was explained something about it, or I just learned it. On, like It's hard to explain how I was trained because it's different than how guys are trained now. Um, because it's back then you only revealed as much as needed to be revealed at a time. Because let's just say that I'm not cut out for the business and, and they beat me up a little bit and I go home after six weeks. Well, if you've taught mm-hmm. me everything you know in six weeks, you taught me everything you know in six weeks, and I go run home and I quit the business, but I spend the rest of my life telling everybody all the things you told me. Oh, kind of I, never, I never thought about that. Kind of defeats the purpose of what we do. Right, because nowadays that's how everybody does it. But I was broke in in an era where – Oh, hell no. Like, as you need to know it, you'll figure it out or somebody will show it to you or they'll just pick you up and do it. And then you'll go, oh, shit, that's how that works, you know? <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I can't tell you how much of my early career was exactly that. Somebody grabbing me, doing it, and then I go, oh. And then they go, now let me show you how I did that. And, that, and that's what? literally how – how I learned so you know it's almost like as you earn your not respect but as you as you don't quit as you stick around as you learn more you begin to piece it together it's different now how guys are taught they are taught much more like a like a school like a one two three curriculum here's what we're going to do first here's what we're going to do second but I appreciate the way I was trained much more and again I was trained by guys who learned it from an era of people who put food on their table by not only doing it, but doing it and keeping up the guys that everything was 100% legitimate. And that is a very different type of training than what guys learn nowadays, because nowadays they're taught it like an entertainment. You can still entertain. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about, hey, go out here and act all grumpy like everything we do is a shoot. But when you're taught it by people that do it that way, they know how to make people react because it's literally how they paid their bills. The, the better reactions they got, the more money they made. The higher on the card they were, the more money they made. So those people learned actual things that you can apply and put to your benefit. And nowadays, guys don't because nowadays, much like people talk about in society in general, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets their turn. Everybody gets their time. In, in WWE, everybody gets their time with the belt. Everybody gets their turn on top. It's not like it used to be. It used to be a shark tank because it was competitive. And it's just like the world now. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm still competitive yeah. as shit, you know? So... <laughs> No, I, I totally agree, and I, I wish we had more time. Um, we are we are running up on it. We got a few minutes left on our show. We got a few few things to get to from the the pay per view over the weekend. What's that? I said, yeah, absolutely. Wrap it up, guys. Yeah, 
But I absolutely thank you so much for coming on. I very, very much appreciate it. Um, anytime you want to come back, if you got anything going on, don't hesitate. We'll call in, talk to me. We'll get you on. Um, anytime you're out here, I guarantee you'll see me in the, in, the, in the stands. I love it. We'll have to try to make that happen for sure. Any of you guys out there on Twitter or Instagram, you can hit me up at JRockDaddy, J-R-O-C-C-D-A-D-D-Y, and uh, let me know if you were listening to the show. You guys, it was great being here, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime. All right. Thanks a lot, J-Rock. You got it, man. Have a good rest of the show. All right. You can feel it. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was J-Rock Daddy. Terrific interview. Very, very happy to hear him. Um, Just couldn't get over that. I I love having my first professional wrestler on air. Uh, Jason, what did you think of that? That was a badass interview. That guy was nuts, dude. He he was that's a real professional wrestler, man. That is a tough dude. I am so happy he came on. Um sorry you I had, had to sit one, there and listen to that for an hour. <laughs> I did have one question for him, but you wouldn't let me get in. <laughs> uh sorry about the that. My bad. I, had, I had that I wanted to know his most iconic fight to this day. Oh, that would have been a good one. Yeah, and one of these days I'm gonna learn how to. But hey, when we let you did actually you, you did drop. I I did say Bill Goldberg, and you gave me props for that one. I wasn't gonna take it. I wasn't gonna take a credit for that man. You did it. You got it. You, you deserved it. Um, but Wait, one of these days I'm gonna learn. I was, I was wanting you to ask him about those. <laughs> oh, I saw. I, I saw, saw Jim Dugan. Um, I loved Hacksaw. I still do. But uh, as you might have noticed, when when J-Rock was leaving, I, I almost signed off with him perfectly. And then I accidentally said, when he said, have a good show, I said, oh, you too. Goodbye. Damn it. One of these days, I'm going to learn how to sign off with a guest and not sound like a complete asshole. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, you sounded like a complete pansy, but. I know. I know. I did. And, uh. I regretted it immediately, but it was too late. I'd already said it. What are you going to do? Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to know his iconic fight to this date. Uh, that, that would have been a great question. I, I and, and, again, that was my fault. I started talking to him, man, and I, I totally fanboyed out, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the, the messages you were sending me and talk to him. He was, he was so interesting to me. So. Well, you asked me. Well, you asked me about a half hour ago. You still got a question? Yeah. <laughs> you never even looked yeah, at it. it. I'm like, oh, you motherfucker. I didn't see it. I was, I was busy. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That's all right. But, you Next know, time we get a boxer, we've had, I'll call you. Hey, well, the last one we had on, Maureen Shea, I, did you ever – I don't think I let you get a word in edgewise, I don't think. I think I said hi. <laughs> I, said, I said hi. Hey, you didn't even give me the chance to do that tonight. I know. I am terrible. I'm sorry. But, but uh, anyway, we do. We are going to go. We have about 20 minutes left in our show. Why don't you break down a little bit of the UFC 22 before we got to go? Because that was a huge card. It was great to see Cyborg back again. Um, there well, was a Bellator event. I don't think we have any time to cover anything else. Let's talk 222. So – 
why don't you bring up fight to fight, and you and I will discuss it. Okay, so that first fight, the first prelim fight was a big deal. Um, when See, they had I it, didn't, I didn't catch the prelims until I want to say the last fight or two. So okay, well, the first one was a big deal, man. It was, it was. Uh, There's a lot of controversy. Now I'm not talking the uh, fight pass prelims. I'm talking the actual um, Fox Sport prelims. So CB Dalloway yeah. was taking on Hector Bard. CB and Hector, CB was going kind of slow. He wasn't really rushing in because he, he knew, you know, Hector's, Hector's strong the first five minutes, ten minutes. And CB was kind of taking his time doing this and that. And right at the bell, when f- the first five minutes was up, the first round was over, the bell rings, not the bell, but, you know, the round's over. They clap the wood together, whatever they do. And the ref was still back a couple of feet. And he said, you could see his hand was up same time. But as the bell goes, CB throws a kick. So the kick's legal. Now the kick lands. Hector throws a very, very hard one-two combo. The ref's still back, and he's saying time, but he's not really getting in between them. So he knocks Dalloway down, who goes down, but he immediately looks to the referee to see if the referee saw that it was late. And Dalloway is declared unable to fight because, you know, they did have to go to a commercial, but when they came back, Dalloway keeps saying, what happened, what happened? I remember the ref saying time, and I'm thinking – I've known guys that have had concussions. Many times when I played football, guy had a concussion. Um, he never remembered something 10 seconds ago, but he forgot 12 seconds after. So I don't think – I think CB was – I hate saying this, but I think he was milking that a little bit. Like I said, I didn't see the fight, so I can't comment on that. Um, you and I have it, both it's tough. Seen... I thought it should have been a no contest. You know, because he threw the punch reacting to the kick that he got. It wasn't like he just threw it out of the blue. He got kicked through the one-two. It, it, it wasn't any later than Jermaine Deradame did to Holly Holm, who threw a punch over the referee in that fight. This referee was not in between them. So I think there's a little bit of a gray area here. I think it should have been a no contest. That being said, Beyond that, we got to see John Dodson versus Pedro Moonholt, and that was what, you know, kind of what I expected. <laughs> Excuse me. Except we got our first split decision of the night that, that wasn't on the, the fight pass, and I didn't think that was a split decision, but Dodson won. We kind of expected that. Now, here's the one you and I both saw that we both were surprised at. I wouldn't have picked him. I don't think you would have either. Alexander Hernandez taking on Benil Darius. I thought Darius would win. No. Darius has been around for a while. I thought, He's a good fighter. Honestly, I thought Darius would, would kill him. Yeah. I did not think Darius was going to get knocked out. No, no. I never would have guessed that. Darius, now, unfortunately, I believe he's lost. What Darius has lost is lost. He's lost three in a row. He's been knocked out, lost the decision, and then, then knocked out. But um, he's a good fighter, and it was cool. Then we got to see, like we talked about a little bit before uh, J-Rock came on, Mackenzie Dern, she beat Ashley Yoder by split decision, but she wouldn't have 
because that was a close fight. Very, very close. Very close. Um, it took Dern to take Yoder to the ground on the back end of that third round to win that fight. Yeah, and that, and she didn't even keep her down there for, what, about a minute? But that minute, was what, what won her that round. Yeah. And I think she won yeah. round one. Round one is the other round she won because she was moving forward. She never took her down, but she had her against the fence and had Yoder defending most of the round. That's how she won that round. Um, everybody can agree Yoder won round two. I mean, to me, I don't take a lot of into this when they say mm-hmm. aggression, but the round round one didn't have a lot of action, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But Dern showed more aggression. Now, yes, that's where I take aggression into, into account. Yes. I mean, now we go up to the next fight. This next one was good, too. I liked it. Caitlin Vieira versus Kat Zingano. Now, yes. this is where you and I started picking fights. And I picked Caitlin. You picked Kat. And we know who won, but a split decision was just ridiculous. I don't see how any – now, the judges actually gave Kat two rounds, not all three. That was a different fight. But how did any judge see Kat Zingano winning two of those rounds? Oh. How? Kat, I don't see Kat, Kat Zingano winning any of those rounds. Round three, I could see. think Maybe. so, but I could see it. I could see it. If you want to give Kat a round – Yes, the third round would would have been the round to give her, but I yeah. gave I gave her opponent all three rounds. I had me too. Kat Gonzano got beat. Now let's take into consideration in this fight. Vieira was fighting on a fractured rib. That's nuts. That's just nuts. We don't. He did not know this until I was I went into MMA Junkie today. And she came out yeah. and said, yeah, my rib was fractured. And I'm like, oh, oh man, you look like you were hurt. Yeah. So she's fighting on a fractured rib and not even showing anything about it. If I would have been in the era, I wow. would have just kept that. I'm like, don't even say that. You already <laughs> beat her. But yeah. you want a little more sympathy points. Well, you got it because you were fighting on a fractured rib. I'm like, that is one tough. Don't I'm not take don't take this in any way, shape, or form. That's one tough bitch. Yes, it, it is because um, Yoder wow. wasn't holding nothing back. Yoder actually kind of punished her. You mean Cat? Or yeah, Cat. Cat. I mean, Cat was. I mean, she she's got some good striking. Very good. But. And she's a big woman. Cat's a big, and I'm not saying big in a derogatory way. Cat's a big muscular no, lady. She's a big strong. woman. She, she yeah. is strong. This was a fun fight. After that, that was a good fight. Caitlin won, dominated. We thought. Screw versus Arlovsky. There's no way I would have thought that fight would have gone all three rounds, but it did. Arlovsky won a decision. There was actually a lot of grappling. Arlovsky took him down quite a few times. 
um, Struve really did what he does. He just kind of sat back and let Arlovsky come to him. Never, never used his jab. Um, didn't do what he could do. I, I, I just don't understand that guy, how he fights, but, you know, it is what it is. And kind of weird. I only, but, I only proved in that fight because he was seven feet tall. <laughs> he, he is tall, yeah. Now, here was a fun – this one was weird. Sean O'Malley versus Andre – can you pronounce this guy's last name? Nope. I won't even try it. Okay. No, we're just going to go Andre. He was – Andre I thought Andre. was going to win. Yeah, Sean O'Malley dominated round one. Just completely dominated him. I mean, knocked him down. Looked like he was going to get him knocked out a couple of times. Andre made it to round two, and then Andre took over grappling-wise. He looked good grappling. Um, by round three, O'Malley was taken over again, but hurt his foot something bad. I mean, I don't know if it's broken or not, but he hurt his foot really bad. Wouldn't even stand on it, but won the I fight. That was a crazy good fight. No, you're right. I had O'Malley in that fight. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you started taking over. Then the next fight, Brian Ortega knocked out the first time ever Frankie Edgar's been finished. Brian Ortega knocks him out in the first round. Who saw that Now, I didn't see that coming, but I did tell you. Because you had to pick because – um, you lost the fight prior to that. Yes. Like, okay, I'm taking Brian Ortega. And you've got this in text message. I'm like, I don't care. I was going to take Ortega anyway. Mm-hmm. I was taking the underdog because I thought Ortega was the better fighter. Now, he's a good fighter. I, yeah. did, not expect, I did not expect, I thought it was going to go to a decision. Okay. I did not think Edgar was going to come to defeat in that way. That was I mean, he's never been knocked out, never been submission, never been nothing. No. I thought Edgar was winning the fight up until that that elbow. Ortega hit him. Ortega was slower than Frankie, but most people are. Frankie's fast, and Frankie was doing pretty good. But all of a sudden, this elbow came and just rocked him. And Ortega then landed this beautiful uppercut. That uppercut was amazing. I mean, he put everything into it. And even Ortega said at the time, he's like, man, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, is this really happening? Is this Frankie? Am I really going to win? And uh, he did. It was a great, great fight. Um, Frankie taking it was, was typical Frankie. He said, he said, hey, if I can't beat Ortega, I shouldn't have a title fight anyway. If he beats me, he should have it. And Ortega's going to get the title fight. He's going to fight Max Holloway next. They're looking at it already at UFC 226. Um, and then so, on to the title fight. Since Go ahead. we're going to have Ortega-Max Holloway in that yeah. title fight, that's going to be a good fight. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I think Ortega takes it. I, I'm with you. I'm, And I'm not jumping on the hype train. I think Ortega takes it. Because he's much bigger than the guys Max has been fighting. His grappling is even better. Uh, Max can be out-grappled. Even, even Conor McGregor out-grappled Max Holloway. So I think, I think he's going to be able to take it. Um, I don't know. I mean, Max is so good and he's getting so much better every fight. Uh, 
I'm not going to actually. I take that back. I don't want to make a pick just yet. Let me let me make a pick on that one when it comes closer. But right now, it'll sound like I'm jumping on the hype train. But there's there's a lot to that hype train right now. Ortega looks so good. Um, but anyway, on to the main event. That was Chris Cyborg versus Yana Kunitskaya. Now, Yana is a very accomplished striker, but she got clobbered right away. I mean, what was it, 30 seconds into the fight? She got clobbered, yeah. immediately went down, um, and took Cyborg down with a very nice, very nice takedown, and actually took her back. And I was, and I, I told you earlier, hey, Cyborg, or Yana has submissions. Took her back. I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to choke her. Uh, didn't happen. Cyborg won, TKO round one. Um, and people are dogging her, you know, why doesn't she fight girls that are her size? Why doesn't she do this? Why doesn't she do that? She's fighting who the UFC's putting in front of her. She's not picking any opponents. Whoever yeah. signs the fighter, she's fighting. She, she doesn't say no to anybody. So, I, think, I mean, I, I just think, um, yeah, there's nothing to say. Cyborg's amazing. She is. She's just amazing. Cyborg is probably one of the best female fighters I've ever seen. No one, I mean, nobody can stand against her. No. And if this and happens, UFC talking... trying to sell us, well, I think the UFC trying to sell us on the fact that Nunez is, is the one to do it. I think that's a disservice no. to Nunez. I just, I don't think that's going to be a fight. Well, I mean, no, it's going to be a fight. But it's only going to be a fight in the first round. Once Maybe, yeah. Nunez passes out, Nunez will gas out. She always does. Once she gasses out, out. Cyborg's going to knock her out. Possibility. I mean, yeah. but if, if Cyborg can get through the first round, she um, can, yeah. Oh, I, well, we know. We, and she could take a punch. Yeah. So, I don't think it's going to be an issue with what Nunez is going to bring, even though she does pack she does pack a lot of power. Yes. Um, she'll gas out in the first round, round and a half. Yeah. At that point, Chris Cyborg, all she has to do is just sit back, let Nunez gas gas herself out, and Cyborg will Cyborg will kill her. She's going to kill her in the later yeah. round. Yeah, that's, I think so. That's my prediction. Yes. Okay, so we had a terrific interview. Um, we kind of broke down UFC 222. We're going to have more next week. There's there's tons of fights coming up, as you know. Every weekend there's tons of fights. So we've got a lot to talk about. We We spent a lot of time on pro wrestling this week, which is a little bit different than normal, but we totally enjoyed it. Very, very happy to have J-Rock Daddy on. So next week, we're going to same show. Hopefully, we'll have another interview. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter, InvictaFC fan. Um, Jason, you can follow Jason um, on the CombatSportsShow.com. Um, good night, and thank you for all for listening, and we will see you next week. All right. With that, next week, hope to hear you soon.